In a small collection of stories, stories, you stories the potpourri of stories story from the from heart. The heart. I'm your host, Claire, coming to you from Toronto, where the trees stand in the water, land that has belonged to the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Chippewa, and today is part of the treaty lands and territory of the Mississaugas of the Credit. My voice comes to you through technological infrastructure that occupies the lands of the Muwekma Olone tribe. Hi, I'm Sheila from the Stories from the Heart team and the producer of this episode. Today, your hosts will be Claire and Jericho, and they will be speaking to learning strategist Just Jeet and peer mentor Adela. And I promise you that you will love this episode as you discover the services and support that they can offer you. So stay tuned and see how you can help improve your academic performance, but more importantly, your student experience with the guidance of Just Jeet and Adela. Hi, I'm Claire from Stories from the Heart, and I'm here with my colleagues Jericho and Sheila. And today we're talking to Jasjeet Sanka and Adela Gian from Academic Success. Um, and I just wanted to open by saying uh, I've I've had some encounters with Academic Success, but when I first heard about it, when somebody said to me as a student, "Oh, you should go talk to Academic Success," I said, Psh, "I don't need to go to Academic Success because my grades are fine. I'm doing fine academically." Um, and so I, that's kind of like the first question we wanted to ask, which is, can you each tell us a bit about uh, your title and explain what it means and what it is you actually do? Because I think sometimes we think of academic success and, and we get a very different idea of what it is than, than maybe the services you're actually providing. So maybe, Jasjeet, if you could talk a little bit about your title. Yeah. Thanks so much for having us here on this podcast, because this is a really great opportunity to clarify for students what we actually do. Um, we often have these kind of situations where students might come and be pleasantly surprised by what how helpful the appointment was because they weren't sure what to expect. In my job title, it's Learning Strategist Identity and Learning. And so what I do is I help students with concerns related to their learning challenges they are facing related to everything from time management and exam prep to concerns such as feeling overwhelmed and feeling like an imposter. And I feel like this is something that's been coming up a lot, especially with the shift to online learning, is that feeling of overwhelmness and feeling like an imposter has been coming up a lot. And in my role, I also focus on work related to how identity impacts learning. By that, what I mean is how a student is impacted by things such as they're experiencing a barrier, they're um, feeling a sense of exclusion in their lab or classroom. Maybe they're having communication issues with their supervisor and they're feeling a sense of self-doubt or maybe they're second guessing if they deserve to be in their program. And all of this can lead to stress, which actually has an impact on their learning. And in particular, because the student may feel isolated and they may not be able to fully articulate what's happening to them. They may not be fully understanding those that they're maybe experiencing a microaggression. Sometimes they may not reach out for support and they might actually blame themselves and think something is wrong with them. And this can lead to a lot of stress that affects their learning experience. So my goal is to develop programs and services to help students feel less isolated, um, help them better understand how they're being impacted by systemic 
barriers and offer them strategies to help them thrive. For example, we have workshops on things like feeling like an imposter, how identity impacts learning, mindful reading, how to navigate academics as a racialized student. We also have workshops on things like, you know, procrastination, time management, exam prep. So it's it's kind of like very multifaceted what we are offering students. And one program, for example, that I'm that's coming up in the new year that I'm really excited about is a collaboration with Hard House on journaling for academic well-being, finding joy in mindful moments. So it's pretty comprehensive what we offer. Yeah, I'll say um, definitely when I went to a learning strategist appointment, I was amazed by the things that came up in that appointment. Um, Like I went to deal with um, a scheduling issue um, in terms of managing my time and scheduling. And we ended up talking about um, everything from scheduling to making breaks for yourself and sort of the mindset with which we can approach time management and experiences where we like don't manage our time effectively, how to not beat yourself up over that. So I thanks for giving us a little taste of just all the kinds of things that learning strategists and academic success are talking about. And I'm wondering if, Adela, you can speak to your role because you have a, a slightly different role within academic success. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I am a peer facilitator with academic success. Um, it's something that I'm doing as part of my work study position. So it's not nearly as comprehensive as what Jazjeet does. It's sort of something I'm doing, you know, along with my studies. But it just it really just means that, you know, being a peer facilitator means that I help facilitate and guide students through, um, you know, a variety of the peer led um, skill building workshops that we offer students on different areas, including, you know, time management and reading effectively, uh, taking notes for class, managing midterms, planning uh, projects and assignments and things like that. So students can sign up for these workshops on CLNX. It's something that they can do sort of online um, because our delivery method is also online. It's on Zoom. And so uh, that really just means that I I spend most of my time connecting with students sort of in a virtual setting to provide them with uh, useful tips and advice and strategies and, and resources that sort of might relate to their experiences both on and off campus as a student. All I want to add to the end of that, Adela, is you shouldn't say that your role is not as comprehensive. <laughs> I think your role is very important. <laughs> it's it's definitely a sliver of, of um, what, you know, sort of the wide variety and, and range of things that academic success offers. So I'm, I'm, you know, just part of the team, just doing the best that I can for sure. Yeah. And something we might talk about later in the interview is sort of what the advantages of being in, in your position are in terms of, um, you know, the kind of interactions you can have as a fellow student. Um, So Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't think that's to be underestimated for sure. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) All right. Well, Jericho, I'm going to turn it over to you. Yeah. I'd uh, also just like to welcome you and thank you for your time in taking this interview and just chatting with us. Um, The first question was very insightful. Even I haven't interacted interacted much with academic success and I'm learning more than I probably should be in at this point of my student career but you know um all like the resources it's always a discovery and it's always a happy one um I've I've found but I guess my question would be what differentiates um for you Jasjit a learning strategist or more broadly academic success from other support services at U of T Um, such as health and wellness or the writing center? That's a really great question because students may be confused by all of these different things that are available, right? And they may not know that they can see all of us at the same time, essentially. 
So in our work at Academic Success, our goal is to help students better understand themselves as learners and develop greater awareness about the learning conditions that help them thrive, which could be anything from, you know, how they study or Claire, what you were talking about earlier, time management, how are you taking breaks, all sorts of things, as well as the barriers they may be facing. And then we try and help them create a tangible action plan on how to move forward. So our conversations can be very exploratory and personal based on your specific needs. So we are different than a writing center because we don't read your paper and we won't offer advice or strategies specifically related to writing, but we will help you learn about the conditions that help you write, such as through a workshop on write fright, or we create a support system for you to write through peer-led study hubs, grad writing groups, or one of my colleagues recently organized a writing retreat for grad students. And we're different than health and wellness because we are not counselors. So although we do talk to students about all the time about, you know, overwhelm and helping them understand themselves better, you know, creating greater self-awareness. We do not process deeper emotional concerns a student may have, and we will often refer students to health and wellness. So in other words, all these services work together to support students, and often um, students will use all three at the same time, and it can be incredibly helpful in a way to kind of reach out to services that have very specific needs for, uh, for you. Thanks. And I think it's so important what you bring up about how all of these um, services sort of work together and refer to one another. That's definitely how I got in contact with academic successes. I was actually in a health and wellness appointment and I, I was sort of referred there and otherwise I probably wouldn't have made it there. So just like a I guess something I got out of that experience was even if you don't know where to go for help, if you go somewhere they will help you find the the right place. Um, I wanted to circle back to um, some of the challenges you said that were coming out uh, right now, uh, particularly during the pandemic. You talked about imposter syndrome, um, but I'm wondering um, some more information about that and some of the other more common challenges you're seeing right now among students at U of T. Maybe Adela, you could uh, talk about this first. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I do want to say that, um, you know, I, I mostly deal with undergraduate students in my workshops. You know, it's not always the case. We do get some graduate students as well, but I usually uh, work with first years and second years. And so kind of based on that demographic, I think a lot of, you know, the common challenges that we often see in university settings, just challenges with, you know, dealing with stress and managing the workload. I think these always come up probably almost every session. You know, I think it's, it's always relevant and it sort of always will be that sort of challenge for university students, unfortunately. But of course, we, we do provide the space to talk about that and sort of provide tips. And, and it's really the reason why we offer these workshops. So I'm always happy to, you know, sort of chat about that with students. But kind of like Jazjeet mentioned earlier, you know, I've also, even with the undergrads, I've been uh, hearing a lot about sort of dealing with these feelings of, of imposters and feeling like an imposter in their program. And it seems like, you know, based on sort of the brief conversations that I've been having, it's really a lot of this stems from, it seems to stem from, you know, this competitive environment and, and the culture of comparison among students and sort of the feeling of like falling behind when everyone else seems to be doing fine. And, you know, the key word here is seems. I think, you know, often students really do just think that, you know, it seems like everyone has has their stuff together, but it's just me and, and I'm really falling behind. You know, I think students can tend to ask themselves questions like, 
you know, what am I doing here? Do I, you know, fit in this program? Like, why, why am I not doing um, X, Y, Z compared to like, you know, these other students and, and, you know, just constantly comparing themselves and, and, and determining, or, or at least sort of arguing or debating whether they like belong in this program, whatever that even means. And, and I think this is definitely something I can a hundred percent relate to as a current graduate student myself here at U of T and, and as someone who did their undergraduate here as well. Um, and, and I think it all just sort of really comes back to, you know, the less we talk about our experiences and, and the less we open up to others, I think we create more gaps and, and more distance, which just leaves so much room for, for assumptions and unaddressed anxiety. So I'm definitely dealing and, and dealing with those feelings of imposters in myself, but also seeing that in students. And it does come up quite frequently, um, as Jazjeet uh, mentioned as well before. Yeah. Thanks for opening up about that and also acknowledging, like, I think it's important um, when we talk about these issues to acknowledge that, like, we too are affected by them. Like, I, I remember having a discussion with some students uh, earlier in the year about sort of this this issue came up and it was like really empowering for to just hear everybody say, yeah, I have had these feelings of of feeling like I don't belong or like I'm not doing well enough because I think it's something that that doesn't get discussed enough or you know, people try to bury it and we could all do a lot to sort of comfort one another and ourselves by sort of talking about it. But yeah, Jasjeet, I wondered if you wanted to add to some of the challenges that you see in, in your work with students at U of T. This is just, thanks for, um, thanks for asking. This is just such an important conversation to be having just based on what Adela just shared and what you just shared. It's like, it's such a universal experience across across, you know, undergrads to grads, as well as I hear from staff and faculty, it's like not just really even just related to undergrads or any particular program. And the feeling like an imposter is probably one of the workshops that I get requested for the most often. I'll go into departments and do a presentation sometimes or um, often with grad life programming. And it's, it's often you know, different students are coming every time and still getting something out of this workshop and we'll run it at least two times a term. So it's a very, a conversation that really needs to be had and and folks really want a space to have that conversation. So in my work, I also work with undergrads and I also work with a lot of grad students, uh, racialized students, international students and students who are registered with accessibility services. So folks who have a lot of, you know, a, a complex experience coming into the university. And the most common challenges I also see are very similar to what Adela spoke about in relationship to the comparison to others piece, the stress about workload. And often when students come, we'll just have a conversation about what this looks like for them in terms of how they are feeling. You know, are they starting to kind of like um, engage in negative self-talk? And is it leading to actions such as procrastination or low motivation? Because sometimes for grad students, this can be the hardest thing, which is that they're feeling like they're not engaged in their work anymore and they're feeling like their productivity is really low, but they're not often able to articulate like, okay, what's what's happening here? What changed? Like I was interested in my research and now I'm not feeling engaged in it, in it anymore. So that's kind of like some of the things that I'll work with students around um, when they come to see me. And for some students, there's another layer to this as well, as I mentioned earlier, where they're not feeling like their identity is represented in their program, or they're feeling a sense of exclusion, and they don't really know how to, again, who can they speak to, right? Because it's very hard to make yourself vulnerable in a way and actually tell somebody in your department that you feel this way, because not everyone's in that 
um, situation where they can advocate in that way or that they think that it will change anything, which is a harder thing because sometimes it may not change anything. So for example, in the work that I've done specifically with international students for whom English is an additional language with my colleague Yasin Ali, we hear from students how they might feel exclusion based on their accent or not feeling like their English is not good enough. So they feel less hesitant to participate in classroom discussions. So that whole workshop series is about how to kind of build confidence and how to feel better prepared uh, to participate in classroom discussion, feel better prepared to feel like you have a voice in your program. This term, I also developed programming um, with my colleague, Jonathan Van during his peer team. And that was to create a space for racialized students to feel more support through our peer-led workshops on how to navigate academics as a racialized student. And there's been a mix of undergrads and grads coming. And one of the topics was how to feel like an imposter. The one coming up, which I believe is tomorrow, November 30th, is on um, microaggressions. So we're trying our best to create spaces for these conversations to be had so that students can feel um, supported. I'm also working with Accessibility Services and the Sexual Gender Diversity Office to develop more spaces where students can have discussions about their identity in you know, particular spaces that are unique for them to feel safe. And our main goal ultimately is that students walk away with tools and strategies so they can feel a sense of empowerment despite the barrier that they're facing because unfortunately we're not often in the role at academic success of changing the barrier but hopefully we can help to kind of shift, you know, culture overall on campus, but also most importantly, like as students are coming in to just help them feel supported. And and that can, again, shift their experience. Yeah, I think these are very important topics and um, things to be addressing. And honestly, I've never heard about it as a student of color that we can talk about this and how how identity and marginalization affects like these pedagogical aspects, you know, of why we are in this institution in the first place. So it's really refreshing to hear something that's happened like that. And I'd also just like to address um, Adela that the imposter syndrome kind of ironically is a common experience with a lot of students, even myself, I've experienced it just um, a lot of self-doubt, but I've also found that my peers and just classmates and friends talking about just their experiences and their struggles and issues and just what's happening in their academic life and how they've been doing, as well as how administrators and profs and TAs um, talk about how we place our value on our academics. Um, One particular anecdote was um, before a midterm, the TA at, at this at the front of the class said, I'm sure you'll all do great, which all TAs said, but one thing that struck out to me is that however, um, however, whatever you do on this midterm, just like know that this is not you as a person, this is not your self-value and that you don't have to place everything on this one midterm. And I thought that was like a really helpful thing to say. And I think it helps with students dealing with imposter syndrome and Another big aspect of imposter syndrome is how it interacts with things like identity, as you mentioned, Jasjeet. So I guess I'd wanted to ask to further expand and explore the topics of how topics of identity like racialization, queerness, immigrant status, um, specifically, I guess, in this case, um, international students and first and second generation students, as well as gender affects students' learnings and their interactions with the university. 
So this is, again, such an important question. And also, thank you for giving us the space to have this conversation today. Because if, as you were saying earlier, Jericho, like not many students know that there are spaces to have these conversations and there is support specifically available to them. So often with kind of like the intersections of identity, what I hear from students in the workshops that I'm doing is that when they don't feel a sense of belonging or they don't feel like their identity is fully accepted, they often feel like they have to work twice as hard as others and they have to kind of really push themselves to succeed. So sometimes I see uh, students with, you know, a lot of perfectionism, which on the outside seems like, oh, this student is doing really well. (laughs) They're trying really hard, right? But the reality is um, it comes at a cost. It comes at a huge emotional uh, cost of not feeling like there's room for failure or room for mistakes. And for some students, by the time we see them or they kind of reach out to us, they may often be in this uh, feeling a sense of burnout and they're starting to feel a lack of motivation in their work or they're feeling stress and overwhelm, uh, low mood. And they're kind of can be really self-critical, like really blaming themselves like my productivity is so high, why isn't it now? Or or just kind of like really being self-critical. One of the key messages I try to kind of get, send forth or put forth with students is this idea of self-compassion and giving yourself a little bit of a break and um, kind of in a way understanding how you've been impacted by, by barriers you've faced and how you need to kind of like give yourself a little bit of a break because sometimes when you're going really hard, and you're, again, are trying twice as hard as everyone else, it's going to have a huge impact on you. And and also it can lead to you feeling isolated and alone, like nobody understands you or that um, you can't reach out, right? Because sometimes I hear from students that when they're in the situation, they reach out to a friend, but that friend is also struggling. So the friend might say to them, well, everything's fine, just work harder. And parents might also say that message to them. So that's why I often give this message that, For folks who have, again, who are feeling a sense of exclusion, are experiencing a barrier, come and see us as staff because we could actually, we'll talk to you and help you navigate this process and help you kind of develop a bit of an action plan. And also what our hope is that they can, uh, through meeting with us and kind of like having these conversations about themselves, that they will feel like they deserve to be at university and they will deserve, will feel like they're making a contribution to their program that is unique based on their experience and what they're bringing to the table and feel like they have a voice in class and maybe feel more comfortable reaching out to a professor, feel more comfortable participating, you know, all those kind of things. So I'm hoping I answered this question, but it's complex is all I can say. It's, it's a com- it's complex how it impacts students and we are really trying our best to, to create spaces for for folks to have their experiences uh, heard. Yeah, I'm wondering, Adela, if you as a student can off- offer perspective on on this feeling like you don't belong in the university or feeling uh, imposter syndrome, because I'm thinking maybe your perspective is also a little bit different as, as a student yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And let me just start off by saying I'm like completely sitting over here in like silent awe of, of this conversation. I'm just so glad that, you know, we're even having, you know, we're, we're creating this space to talk about this. It's so refreshing. Like Jericho said, it's not something that I think students get to talk about very often, especially in, you know, sort of facilitated spaces like this, um, in, in like an academic setting. So I'm just, I'm just like so thankful to be here and be able to talk about this. But yeah, I mean, I definitely, you know, as a student, I think the various intersections of my identity play a huge role in my university life, you know, not only in, 
you know, informing what I study and what I'm interested in researching, you know, the fact that I am a young woman, um, the daughter of immigrants and, you know, just, I, I, I definitely think it's, it's not something I can really separate from my identity as an academic or as a scholar, a young scholar. And I think that's something I tried doing in the beginning. I think in, in my first year, I felt like, you know, there was university student Adela, and then there was, you know, like Adela sister, daughter of immigrants, um, young woman who like loves to like watch Netflix. Like I felt like I had to keep these like identities very separate. I thought it was, you know, mutually exclusive, but sort of over the years and, and into my, uh, into my grad, uh, or sorry, into my MA, I'm starting to realize that, you know, they, they really work best when they, when they're hand in hand. And it's really not something that comes mutually exclusive. You know, I think, so much of what I'm interested in studying, like I mentioned before, has to do with my experiences of, you know, my life outside of outside of academia and, and off campus. And so, I mean, in that sense, my my, you know, sort of these intersections of my identity have really made rich what I study and, and have really just made my my studies that much more enjoyable. But again, like I mentioned before, it definitely does, you know, sort of play hand in hand with that feeling of imposterism because I think, like sort of Jazjeet mentioned, there are, you know, feelings sometimes where, you know, you're like, do I belong here? You know, you're sort of thinking about what kind of people are prescribed to these spaces, you know, who gets to speak, who gets to, whose work is valuable. And, and a lot of that has to do with, you know, kind of, again, like reflecting upon your identity and thinking about how that fits into this university setting. And I think that comes ultimately from, you know, those feelings of thinking that they're like exclusive and, and they're, they're kind of at odds with each other when really they don't have to be and they're not. Um, so, I mean, this is something I'm still working on. You know, it's not easy. It's, it's something I'm, you know, I keep telling myself, you know, I deserve to be here and, and I deserve to be studying what I'm studying. But yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think, you know, as a student, it's, it's, definitely complex to say the least, as Jazjeet said, but um, it's also a continual process of just learning, um, you know, just to, again, be be compassionate to yourself, you know, be a little gracious, be a little kind. Um, but yeah, that's sort of the journey that I'm on. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's such a big issue. And a lot of the things that you've mentioned, like overwhelm and low mood, like I've experienced those myself, just like feeling kind of I guess at the peak of your stress in a lot of like times at this university and yeah, it's a hard thing to address and it's a definitely important conversations to have. And even talking about this kind of, there's a lot of things that strike, strike at me and I can kind of empathize with. So thank you just for like sharing what you've experienced and what you've been um, addressing and handling. So you mentioned that students should be practicing self-compassion, especially as it relates to dealing with challenges of identity as a racialized or marginalized student. How do you think self-compassion is distinct to uh, self-care and how does that relate to being a marginalized student? So this is like a really, really important question because this is probably one of the key messages I really try and put forth. And so the difference is often when I talk to students, racialized students or marginalized students about self-care, as I mentioned earlier, they say to me, well, they're working really hard and they feel like self-care is a waste of time. Like they don't have money to go to a spa and they don't have, um, you know, money to kind of spend on themselves, or they don't think that it's something that is where their time should be spent. And when I try and talk to them about a little bit differently, that self-care isn't necessarily just about this idea of you know, what we might, how we might see it being perceived in society in terms of like, you know, a candlelight bath. It's about how do we strengthen our sense of self? 
And how do we tap into our own inner sense of empowerment um, within us? And that sometimes the best way to do that is to offer ourselves self-compassion and mindfulness and these kind of quiet moments where we, um, again, start to kind of like understand who we are. And I often talk to students also about like, how do we draw from the wisdom of our ancestors? How do we draw from the wisdom of all the folks who came before us and the strength that that offers us as well? And I was uh, visiting my parents this weekend and my dad was sharing this like incredible story about how he was the first uh, young person in his village who went to the big city and got a university education and that the whole village kind of supported his journey in this. And it was a really special moment. And it really made me also have a lot of pride in like, this is where my dad's, this is where my dad's roots were. And this is the community that helped him get there and helped me get to, you know, kind of where I am right now. So this is what I mean about how, how we kind of can tap into this inner sense of wisdom within us. And with self-compassion, there's this beautiful um, exercise that I sometimes do in my workshops by Kristen Neff. It's called the self-compassion break. It's a really, really simple exercise. It's basically just, instead of trying to push through something hard and thinking, okay, I'm just going to kind of push, push, push. You take a moment and you just acknowledge that, you know, this is tough. Like I'm having a really stressful moment. This really hurts. And I'm not alone in this. I'm, you know, other people feel this way. Other people struggle. And literally just taking a moment to say some, put, putting your hand on your heart and saying some really kind words to yourself. So could be something as simple as, uh, you know, I'll get through this. May I give myself the compassion that I need? May I forgive myself? May I accept myself? It's a really simple exercise, but it's a, it helps us again, see ourselves differently, despite the barriers that we're facing. It offers a sense of strength to us as individuals, but also it kind of offers in a way the courage for us to support each other is what I also feel like is really important part of this conversation is that building community and and building a support networks. So we're not feeling like we're alone and we're feeling like other folks understand us. So another resource I wanted to share that can contribute to our conversation about self-compassion and feeling a sense of balance and is was developed by my colleague, Bonnie Jane Miracle, who is an Indigenous learning strategist, and it's called Being Mindful Through the Medicine Wheel. And in that resource, she teaches students how to maintain greater balance in relationship to mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical well-being. And students find that resource very helpful. So, And she also does workshops related to this. So there's um, there's a kind of like a direct workshop that folks can go to as well as uh, I can offer that resource. I hope that answered the question. Yeah, thank you for that. That's a really good, I guess, self-assignment to do. And these are very simple questions, but really important ones and really difficult ones to answer, despite the fact that they are quite simple and just their wordings. Like, how do I forgive myself and how how else can I continue and just like taking a break? That Those questions, I think, if I put myself in, in a situation of high stress and just take a moment to breathe and mull over those thoughts. That's very powerful. So thank you for, I guess, sharing that with us and everybody else. So yeah, in a place to, you know, change the barriers that we are constantly dealing with. And that's completely understandable. However, you have seen the challenges the students are facing. And just what do you think 
needs to happen at U of T to make it a more compassionate learning environment rather than this culture of competition that generates um, all this undue stress. So one of the things I guess I would like to say about academic success is even though we're not an office in which we're doing advocacy like ARDCO or again, SGDO or, you know, AODA office, we do a lot of work at multiple levels, right? Like, so the director is going to conversations with other directors and and talking to people across campus. And my colleagues are um, going into classrooms and talking to professors and developing curriculum that's university-wide, right? So we're doing advocacy in, we are still doing advocacy in terms of trying to change the culture in relationship to learning. We can't always solve a specific problem a student's facing. So that's why sometimes I'll say to students, if it's a specific problem related to racism, you can make an appointment with Artico and somebody can talk you through that, right? So again, a circle of caring, right? Like we're working in conjunction with other offices on campus. But what I think is probably one of the most helpful things that that is, I feel like a shift is is happening at U of T and it can kind of even happen even further is the work of Fiona Rowley, um, where she talks about this idea of creating a pedagogy of kindness in the classroom. And she she has some really inspiring podcasts that I was listening to over the, um, you know, over this past year of the pandemic on how she was trying to help students, again, feel like she cared versus just feeling like this anonymous person behind a screen. And her goal was to help students feel seen and heard and actually kind of also prepare them for potential failure that they may face so that they know knew that they would be supported by her through it. So her work has been really inspiring. I've really kind of been inspired by that. Another thing that we're doing at Academic Success to kind of, I would say, contribute to this is uh, two of my colleagues, Rahul and Kate, have been doing incredible work on kind of, we've been calling it this idea of academic resiliency, but workshops on learning how to learn to help students understand themselves and also offering tangible tools and strategies in relationship to learning as well as failure and setback. And they've been doing work at the faculty level. They've been going into professors um, into the actual classrooms and bringing these workshops as part of the course curriculum, which they've said has been really impactful for students. The other thing that I have also done, and well as some of my colleagues are also doing this, is we have a class ambassador program. And if if profs can kind of sign up for this program and that and then we choose a peer in the classroom who offers learning strategy tips um, at the beginning of class. So then all of these kind of ideas that we've been kind of discussing today can be little tips that are offered throughout the course um, so that all the things that Adela was speaking to earlier, right, about the overwhelm and your student and no one's ever talking about something. How about just like having a learning, like having that as part of the course curriculum, like integrating some of these things. I was doing this with KPE last year and we talked about We've talked about feeling like an imposter. We talked about procrastination. We talked about all these things. I, the other thing that I'm doing, which I think is really helpful in CTSI, uh, with CTSI is a lunch and learn on creating equitable classrooms. We do this once a month. It's a lunch and learn. And CTSI is doing all sorts of other kind of amazing workshops for faculty as well. But I feel like that's, again, another amazing example of, of at the faculty level, what can be done to kind of help to shift culture. Another um, initiative that is, I think is going to be really helpful is uh, the Center for Graduate Mentorship and Supervision that just opened up. And that's going to be a space to help students um, who are having any issues with their supervisor. So a student can basically go there and they can kind of help to mediate that process for you as well. They're also doing workshops, again, at the faculty level to kind of help 
uh, supervisors be better supervisors. So again, I'm really excited about this kind of university-wide kind of changes. And also, I'm, I'm going to put a plug for all of my incredible colleagues. Um, I have colleagues who are working at the college level, specifically in a college. Again, you know, part of that, the team at the college working and doing offering customized support at that level for students and working with the registrars, you know, kind of plugged into those meetings. And I guess what I would say would be really important as well is how can profs who are really kind of dedicated to um, shifting this kind of, again, this competitive culture at U of T and how can they be rewarded for it? And how can they be rewarded for kind of creating this pedagogy of kindness? It doesn't take away from the rigor. It doesn't take away from, you know, what students are learning and, and um, you know, like as in like how comprehensive the learning is, right? It just shifts the culture. So it's less competitive. So I think that would be really helpful is like, how do profs, how do profs um, have, you know, have, have this be rewarded and, and part of their job, more part of their job than maybe it is for everyone. I think that would be really helpful. I did just want to explore briefly, like what it means for like instructors or professors to like foster like a pedagogy of kindness and like what academic resiliency means like in the classroom. So Jesse, would you mind talking about that? So for the pedagogy of kindness from the way that Fiona Rowley kind of speaks about it, it's actually offering an authentic presence to students and offering opportunities for students to provide their feedback, kind of having a bit of a relationship with your students almost, as well as preparing them, most importantly, for this idea of, of what failure might look like for them so that they're not completely devastated by it. I can't remember everything about her example, but she had a really wonderful presentation that she did. And she was talking about how she actually helps her students prepare for failure by offering them these kind of like small assignments and in-class activities. So then when, so if they do a uh, experience failure, they're able to kind of recover from it versus taking it really personally or blaming themselves from it. And they're actually almost able to learn from that failure. So it's a really interesting um, approach that she's using in her classroom. So Fiona Rowley has, has offered some presentations with CTSI. I don't know everything about the training that's offered for instructors, but I do know that if they book an appointment with CTSI, for example, they can start to talk through their pedagogy and also their assignments, uh, teaching presence, instructor presence, like all of these things can be really worked on together with somebody from CTSI. Yeah, thank you for that. That sounds like a very comprehensive and like, interesting curriculum. I'm excited to see this, just to see it. Yeah. I'm wondering, Adela, as a peer advisor who is, you know, engaging in classes as a student, I'm wondering what your um, perspective is on how we can change U of T to make it more of a, a an environment that fosters kindness rather than competition, as Jesse was sort of saying. Yeah, um, I mean, if I'm being completely honest, this is a really tough question for me to answer, and it's and I think partly that has to do with the fact that I've never been asked this kind of question before, and I, and I, I don't think I've ever really had the chance to really think about it, or at least not at uh, not at um, not to this sort of degree. But I think you know my impulse is to say something about addressing this like false notion of like scarcity, as in like this notion that there is or that that there, that there can only be a select group of successful students, like whatever that means or looks like, and, and that there's only you know a sliver of opportunities for students on this huge campus. When in reality, I think as students of a huge campus, our power might 
actually be in coming together and checking in with one another, being kind to one another and exchanging tips and advice and information. And, and I think, you know, what Jazjeet just mentioned about sort of infusing that environment of kindness with the classroom is just I feel like it's it's almost really intuitive and it's so it seems quite simple and, and if you think about it it's so doable yet it's not something that I don't think we see enough probably um, on uh, on the campuses of UT so I think you know that was really amazing and I'm thinking back to you know times when the classroom used to be a space where we would like make friends like in grade school and such whereas now I think it's really just you know it can be really transactional it's like we come in we come for our lecture we do our we pay our dues we we you know we give the work that we need to do we get we receive our marks and then we just we're out of there which is you know not as not really not not really um an environment that fosters that kind of kindness between profs and students but also between like among students so I think again just what Jazz G mentioned about you know infusing that that environment of kindness with with the classroom is just so important and again would love to see that sort of come into action but I mean I I remember even you know in undergrad there were so many there were like I could go days without speaking to anyone in my classes which is such a shame and it's just it's it's really just it's really just such a shame that it had to be that way but you know I think if we sort of open up and um, again have room and, and create the space in our classrooms to be having sort of those conversations and opening up to one another rather than just sort of allowing that culture of competition to like fester in that silence and, and lack of communication, just really just creating that bond and, and culture of community and then coming together as a collectivity of students is just so important and can really bring us out of those feelings of, you know, isolation, imposterism um, and loneliness that we talked about before, but also just from like, a, like a, an objective point of view, just coming together to exchange information and resources and opportunities is just, it, it's such, it's really just such an advantage of being on such a huge campus. So yeah, I really, I really, I'm just, I'm all for talk, you know, just kind of coming into class being like, Hey, like my name is Bella. Like what, what are you up to? You know, sort of just, you know, kind of reaching out to people in my classes and, and trying to kind of at least just let people know that I'm here to talk about whatever it may be. But yeah, I'm a huge fan of huge fan of talking in classes for sure. Not during the lecture though. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really appreciate um, the words like collectivity that you're using sort of, yeah, fostering this sort of sense of collaboration rather than competition among students. And that really, I like that that empowers us as students to also be taking on a role in changing the university's sort of, uh, atmosphere because I think obviously both things need to happen. Jasjeet's describing like these systemic changes within the administration and rewarding administration for setting up pedagogy of kindness in their classrooms. But, you know, that doesn't mean that we as students can't also sort of play a role in changing this environment. I, I really appreciate that perspective. But obviously, the, these are big changes that are going to take time to accomplish. So in the meantime, what are some strategies that students can use right now to navigate the U of T learning environment as it exists? So what I would say is, if a student is feeling like they're blaming themselves for how they're doing and they're feeling alone and isolated, my main message would be to reach out for help, just to know that you're not alone and that there are offices on campus that can help you. And, and if you're in a college, you can go to the registrar's office and talk to someone. You can make an appointment with the learning strategist, come to our drop-in, speak to a peer like Adela. Like there's something pretty much every day that you can kind of plug into. And just to know that there's staff on campus, there's peers on campus and that you're not alone and that there's not nothing wrong with you. Do not blame yourself and do not feel alone. 
Thanks so much. And maybe Adela, if you can add some, some advice. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm again, like Jazjeet said, I'm all for, you know, sort of reaching out for help and being really vocal about those sort of issues that you're facing because again, students aren't alone and, and, you know, the beauty of being on such a huge campus is that we have so many resources for students that are available to them um, in times of need like this. Um, And so I think, you know, there's so many that there are so many strategies and and resources that I might share with students. But I think one I'll I'll just sort of highlight here right now is recommending or is checking out the uh, academic success website at uft.me slash success, or even visiting our events and workshops calendar on CLNX. And, um, you know, this is not just, this is not just a like self-promotional plug. Um, I do just really want to say, you know, even if it isn't that students are, you know, booking workshops with, with peers like myself. Um, the support that our team offers is it takes on so many different forms. And I really do encourage students to explore those options and see what works for them. Um, you know, whether that be um, a peer-led workshop or maybe accessing a study hub um, or reaching out to a peer mentor. So there's always so much to offer or so much offered rather on that CLNX events and workshops calendar. I love that thing. And I always encourage students to check it out. So I think that's one thing I would definitely recommend to students right now. And maybe we'll just finish off with something that is directly relevant to students listening, probably at this point. Um, What is uh, one piece of advice that you can give to students as they're getting through midterms or heading into final exams? For sure. Yeah, this is definitely a relevant question for myself as well. I know that once I hop off of this interview, I'll be you know, very deep in the trenches of um, final like papers and and preparing for for exams and things. But I think one thing that I can sort of mention here um, is just, you know, being specific about your goals goes a really long way. And what I mean by that is, you know, you know, that can look like setting aside a specific time and place to get specific tasks done. Um, So for example, if you've got a final essay to write, you might say to yourself, okay, on Wednesday from like 5 p.m. to 6 p.m., I'm going to get this one argument paragraph done and then stick to that, you know, and, and if you're able to, and if you aren't able to accomplish that specific goal, that's totally okay. That happens. That happens to me. But just being able to reassess um, to see, you know, what might have gone wrong, you know, were you a bit too ambitious? Were you being unrealistic with that goal? And just sort of coming back and thinking, where can I adjust um, these goals that I'm setting for myself? And, you know, do I have to be more specific or was I being too specific? Um, And just sort of making those active changes for yourself in your next scheduled activity, I think is really important. But yeah, I definitely think, you know, the more specific students get with the work that they want to get done, the sort of more um, manageable it becomes and the less likely they'll be procrastinating and sort of putting it off. I think once we're really specific about our goals, we can also be more specific about, you know, what that end product looks like. And I think that really motivates students. So yeah, I think this is something I share with students in my workshops often as well, but, you know, being specific about your goals. Thanks so much. And Jess, do you want to offer some, some exam prep tips? Yes, sure. Adela, thank you so much. That's really, really helpful, I think, for students. And to that, I guess I would add number one is sleep. Like that seems to be often what people let go of. So as much as possible, try and maintain your sleep. And take just taking care of all parts of yourself, like your health, you know, exercise, um, eating well, taking non-screen breaks as much as possible, actually taking breaks that energize you versus deplete you and also realistic pacing of time. So how long is something actually going to take and how much time have you budgeted for it? How do you kind of schedule your time in such a way that you're factoring in breaks, factoring in how long something's actually going to take? And like Adela was saying, creating a study routine where you actually have 
some goals that you've set your set aside for yourself. Sometimes students like to have told me they it's really helpful to set it the night before. Sometimes it's better the day of. However, your kind of process is basically having a bit of an intentionality to your study process. I think that would be my main goal, my main kind of message. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jessie and Adela. Thanks, Jericho, for. Uh, helping me do this interview, for doing this interview with me. And thanks, Sheila, for producing. Yeah, I really appreciate the conversation we got to have today. I think it's a conversation, a kind of conversation that we don't have enough uh, at U of T. And I'm so glad that sort of we can get the ball rolling on that together. Well, thank you so much for inviting us. Yeah, thank you so much. I had so much fun. Thank you to just Jude and Adela for joining us today and for Claire and Jericho of the Stories from the Heart team for hosting today's episode. I hope that today's episode will help you, dear listeners, to find ways to support yourselves as we all forge our way forward and out of this pandemic limbo during the school year. To book an appointment with a learning strategist or peer mentor, or to discover the countless workshops and events that UFT hosts to help students with their academic success and to enhance student experience, please go visit clnx.utoronto.ca. Bonnie J. Miracle, whom just Jeet spoke about, is also a learning strategist for First Nations House and Academic Success and she is also available for appointments. For detailed instructions on how to book an appointment or navigate CLNX, please see our show notes. You can read about how some of UFT's faculty has been practicing the pedagogy of kindness in their classroom on New Toronto News or listen to it on YouTube by searching University of Toronto, The New Normal, Episode 12. And finally, we would like to thank Shayla, Nick, and Dave for helping us produce the show. Most of all, thanks to you, our listeners. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter at HH Podcasting and on Instagram at Hearthouse Stories. Stories from the Heart episodes are available wherever you get your podcasts, and we post all of our episodes under the Hearthouse Stories on SoundCloud. I'm signing off as your producer for today. Thanks again. Bye.